Okay, we're starting here on the two dots at the bottom of Ayin Gimel with Bet. Haborer v'tochen v'mirake. Mar asks, Haino Zoreh, winnowing. Haino Borer, selecting. Haino Mirake, sifting. They all have the same purpose, the Melacha, which is to separate out the solet, separate out the items that you do not want. So why does the Mishnah enumerate these three Melachot that all have the same purpose? So, by Baravah Damarit Bayu, Bain Ravabos say, Komilta Tahavyu B'Mishkan. Anything that was in the Mishkan, Afagav De'ika De'damile, Choshivla. Even though there's something else that's similar to it, it's enumerated, it's counted. Now, the Gemara here is going to ask further about this. What's interesting is that in the Gemara in Babakama, the Gemara there also discusses what is considered to be an Av and what is considered to be a Tolda. There, the Gemara answers, Anything that was in the Mishkan is considered to be Chashu. There, Tosvat discusses what the Girsa of the Gemara is. Is the Girsa of the Gemara called Dahavi Mishkan Chashivale? Anything that was in the Mishkan is considered to be Chashu. Or called Dahavi Mishkan Vichashivale. Is there also a Vav there? Anything that's in the Mishkan Vichashiv, and it's also Chashuv, that is what is classified over here. Machlok at two dayot in the Tosvat in Babakamo. But over here, the Gemara just leaves it. But there, the Gemara, the, the Tosafot discusses what is the qualification. How do you qualify to be considered one of the Av Malachot? Is it simply being in the Mishkan? Or is that to be a significant Malacha within the Mishkan? Then the Gemara asks, the Chashev Nami Kotesh, if you're already doubling up, why not also put in pounding? Pounding, which also serves the uh, purpose of removing the shell from the item, which is similar to dash. So why don't you do mention both kotesh and dash in the Mishnah? So I'm Rabbi, you can't... Yeah. No, it's a different, a different. Correction, a different qualif- different category. Category of dash. That is, in the, is dash is listed, but kotesh is not listed. So why not list kotesh as well? So I'm Rabbi, you and Ani makes his bread without doing Ktisha. Ktisha is not necessary in order to do the process. We know that because the Aniim don't do Ktisha. They move through without doing this process of Ktisha. Rav Amar, Hamani, Rabihi. This is Rabbi, Damar, Avot, Malachot, Avraim, Chaserachat. This is Rabbi who believes that there are 39 Malachot. Yichashim, Kotesh, Avile, Arbaim. If he lists Kotesh, then you're no longer at 39 Malachot. You are now at 40 Malachot. Rabbi is what we saw before. He learns out of Eile HaDvarim. He learns out from the Gematria of Eile and Dvarim. Together, they come out to 39 as the number. We just saw that recently. So now, if you do this, you have to 40 Malachot instead of 39. So, so the HaDvarim is, is, Dvarim is 2, HaDvarim is 3, and Eile is 36. You add them together, you get 39. The Gemara says, Right, so now, let's, wait a minute. You have three of one type, which is you have Zoreh, Borer, and Merakeid, and then you have Dash, at least even them out, but two and two. Why would you pick to have three of one Melacha, or one Tachlit, and only one of Dash, instead of two Dash and Kotesh, and drop one of the others? How do you know which one to put in, which one to take out? The Gemara says, you're right, Clear that Abayi's answer is the proper answer, that Tisha is not necessary in the processing of bread. Don't have to do this. Zora, 
Borer and Merakei, they're all part of the processes of bread that are not skipped, they're done by everyone. Over here, we have Kotesh, which is skipped by the Ani. And as Tosafot points out, it's not just Tisha that is skipped by bread making, but it's also skipped by the making of the Ani. The spices, the items that they use for the dyeing within the Mishkan, that process also, the re suggests, that not only by pot, but also by tzoveya, the ani skips the process of tisha. And therefore, since the ani skips that entirely, we're going to suggest that that is not necessary to be placed inside of the melachot mishkan. Right. Oh, so you're asking a, a good question, which we'll get to actually in later today's daf, is how do we determine the arbein melachot? Rashi is of the position that the Arbaim Malachot and Tosavot seems to agree with this as well. It's solely based on the fact that it was done in the building of the Mishkan, in the preparation of the Mishkan, not in the Abudot HaMishkan. The Rabbeinu Hananel, as well as some of the other Gaonim, believe that the Malachot were also had to do with the Avodah the Mishkan, that which was done in the process of Avodah Mishkan. For instance, Hidura Depat. What is the Sidura of the Pat? We're going to get to that later today. Is that simply something was done in the process of building the Mishkan? Or is that something that's done for the Menachot? In order to make the Menachot and the Mishkan, you do Sidura the Pat. It's a Machloket. So, the easy answer to your question is that the Machtesh that's used by the Kohen Gadol is used in the Avod of the Mikdash, not in the building of the Mikdash. Right. So, Doug Mar is going to ask you a question. Why, what, where does, what is Sidur the Pat? We'll get there today. Why is Sidur the Pat if that has nothing to do with the building of the Mishkan? Right. Now the Gemara continues. Same 39. We'll, we'll get there today. We'll get there. Gemara will explain it. He has in front of him a series of Ochel. Borer ve'ochel. Borer u'meniach. Ve'lo yivror. V'im birer chayev chatat. One may eat, be borer, and eat, borer and leave, but he may not be borer, and if he does borer, then he's chayu chatat, obviously a cryptic statement in the Brayta, which the Gemara is going to say right away, my kamar. What is meant by this Brayta? So now, Amar Ula, Haki Kamar. This is what it means. Now, first of all, the beginning of the Brayta, which is Hayulafanav Mineochlim, he has different types of food in front of him. A very important principle emerges from this, which Tosafot here quotes the Rabbeinu Hananel, that The Breira is not simply taking out waste from food, but two different foods. If you have a preference or you want one of the foods and you don't want the other one, then the item that you want is designated as Ochel. The item that you do not want is designated as Solet. Ochel and Solet are not objective standards by which something is considered to be food, something is considered waste, but rather subjective standard which is whatever you want is ochel, whatever you don't want is considered to be psolet, which has major enough kuminot in terms of the aloha in regards to borer. The borer can apply even if you have a number of food items in front of you, but if you choose only one of them, you want one of them, and therefore you're going to remove it from the others, you might be in violation of borer. All right, again, you have to, when, when is something considered borer or not, how close that be related. All right, now, Amarula, so Ula makes the first attempt at explaining this, which is, He can separate out the psolet in order to eat it that day. He can also separate it out and leave it 
on that day. Now, as Tosfot says, for others to use. As I say, Rashi seems to interpret that he, for himself even, he just doesn't need it right now, he's going to use it later. That you're allowed to do. You may not do borer for tomorrow. If you do borer for tomorrow, you're chayav chatat. Vista challenges Ula's explanation here. Since when, if something is a malacha, just because you do it for Shabbat itself doesn't mean it's mutar. So baking, which is not malacha, just because you bake for Shabbat doesn't make baking okay. Since when can you cook on the day of Shabbat itself? So to here, if borer is an av malacha, just because you do it for Shabbat itself, why does it make it permissible? El Amar of Chista, Borer, Vochel, Pachot, Mikishior. So next attempt, Rav Chistu challenged Ula's explanation, now offers his own explanation, which is that Borer, Vochel, Pachot, Mikishior. You again separate out, do Borer, less than a Shior. We know the Shior by Ochlim is Kurgo Geret, the size of a fig. So if you do less of it than a fig's size of Borer, that'll be okay. Same thing with Borer, Umeniach, Pachot, Mikishior. You can separate out and leave over, whether for others or for yourself, Pachot Mikshior. Ukishior, if it's a full shior, the size of Grogeret, lo yivror, you may not do borer. Vimbirer, chayav chatat. Mat kifla Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef challenges that. Pachimutelafot, Pachot Mikshior. Can you go bake less than a shior of Ochlin? The answer is no. And as Rashi points out, it's a machloket in the end of the Gemara and Yoma, which is chatzi shior. Is Chatzishur Asur or not Asur? And Rashi says that we paskin the Kaimalan Chatzishur Asur Minat Torah. Chatzishur is Asur Minat Torah. Even if you don't do a full shur, you may not be culpable in terms of punishment, but you still are not permitted to do less than a shiur of Malachah. So over here, when you're doing less than a shiur, why are you saying that all of that is fine? It's not fine. It's problematic. It just happens to be you won't get punished for it, but it isn't fine. So how could you suggest that that is the interpretation of the bright that we just saw? Elam Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef now offers up an alternative. Borer vochel biyad. Borer ominiach biyad. One may do borer by hand or borer and leave over by hand as long as he doesn't use a utensil. Biknon ubitam chui. He uses a knon. Knon is really a reed basket, but over here Rashi describes it as something akin to a funnel, which is that you have a wide area where you place the items, and then a narrow bottom where it drops out. He used to tell, says that the coin uh, collectors, the money changers, use these to separate out the different sides or sort the coins. So that over here, by having a narrow exit, you can determine what leaves and what stays in. So that's the Knon and the Tamkoi, Lo Yivror. One may not separate or select in that manner. be rare. If he does use them, Patur Avalasur. It's only a Sur Midirabanan. On the other hand, uses a sieve, or a kvara, which is a larger sifter, a basket sieve, lo yivror. He may not select in that way or separate in that way. Then he is chayav chatat. So you basically have a spectrum of items that you can do borer with. The way that it's normally done is with an afer and kvara, which is these two items, utensils, that are made specifically for doing borer. If you do it that way, you're in violation of the malacha. Doing it by hand is clearly mutar. That's not the way that one is borer. One doesn't separate in that manner. The knon and tamkui, which are this in-between status. They're not the normal way that it's done. But nevertheless, you're using a utensil. So the Rabbanim were osir in that case. 
because they didn't want you to think that you can use a utensil and then come to use nafik vara. So what Rav Yosef does, what Rav Yosef does here basically says is that borer is only shayach when you do it in a manner that it's normally done. The manner that's normally done is through a utensil. If you do it by hand, that no longer classifies as borer. How, what was done? How was it done in the Mikdash? In the process of making the dyes, they used to do this. They had to take whatever materials they were taking. They were borer. They selected out. They got rid of the things that they didn't need. What? No, yeah, their hand. No, they used a sieve or a sifter to do it. Yeah. And they dropped the psolid out. They dropped the stuff they didn't want. It goes out. And it traps inside of it the stuff they do want. So that's the way it's done. All right. So now, Matiflar of Humnuna. Rav Nuna challenges Rav Yosef and says, Where do you see in the Brighta any mention of these utensils? That's not mentioned in the Brighta. You added in something that wasn't there before. Rashi says you could have easily have asked them, where's the Nafen Kvara as well? Where there are no utensils here. Uh, Tosafot, on the other hand, says that he thinks specifically the question is about Knon Vitamkwe and not about Nafen Kvara because that is the nature of the Malachah. That's not a question. The question is this in-between status, this thing about Patur of Al-Asur is not mentioned in the Brayta. He now has four stages in the Brayta where the Brayta only had three. Brayta says that you can do Borer Vochel, Borer Omeniach, and then Loli Vror, Vimbirer, Chayel Chatat. He added a stage in there where it's Patur of Al-Asur, which didn't exist before, and that's what the question relates to. So that's Rabbi Amnuna's challenge to the explanation of Yosef. Now he, he offers his own interpretation. You can do borer when you take the ochel, that which is good, out of the psolet, the waste. The same thing. You can be borer and leave over either for yourself or for someone else. Uh, when you take the ochel, the good stuff, out of the bad. But, psolet mitok ochel, if you remove the bad from the good, lo yivrod, that you may not do bimber chayav chatad. That's the way the Mlach of Borer is done. Using the Nafek Vara is that when you shake them and you, you sift or sieve, you let the bad stuff falls out and the good stuff remains in that item. So the, what you're doing in those cases is removing the, the bad from the good. So the other way around. The good stuff falls out and the bad stuff stays in the sifter. So you have the bad stuff is what you're separating it out. You're not taking the Ochel. Here you're doing the opposite of the Mlach of Borer by taking the Ochel out of Solet. So that is what is mutar. If you don't do it the way they did it in the Mishkan. Now, Matifla Abaye. Abaye says, wait a minute. I don't see Ochel Mitok Solit in the Braita. You just added that in. You just created a qualification. Elamar Abaye. So Abaye offers a different explanation. You're allowed to do Borer for immediate use. Borer You could separate it out to use immediately. For that day, later on in the day, you may not do borer. If you do such a thing, it's equivalent of being borer to put away in the silo, in the storage house. And in that instance, you will be a chayav chatat. So now, there's a number of qualifications which we have over here, which is that the last three, which is Yosef, Rav Hamnuna, and Abaye give us all qualifications. They challenge each other. And then, in the end, we pass an aloha that you require all three of these things in order for it not to be classified as borer. You must satisfy Rav Yosef, Rav Amnuna, and 
Abaya's qualifications in order for it not to be classified as Borer. One of the things that Tosva notes over here, it says, Mashma, Ochel mitok psolot, ain't derech breira bekach. And when you take Ochel out psolot, it sounds like that's not the normal way to do breira. But later on in the Masechet, it sounds like that Borer is when you take Ochel mitok psolot. So Tosva there differentiates between what is the Merubeh, what is more. Depends what you have more of. If you have more psolet, then the normal way to do it is to take the Ochel out of the psolet. If you have a larger amount of Ochel, then the way to do it is to take the psolet out of the Ochel. You have to know the situation, the circumstance in which you're in. That will determine which way is the normal way to do Borer. Now, for the Olocha, we require all three of these requirements, which is number one, it has to be done Biyad. That's the qualification. Number two, it has to be done Biyad. It has to be not only has to do Miyad for immediate use. I'm sorry. I said it has to be done Miyad for immediate use. Biyad by hand. And Olocha Mitok Solet. So all three of those qualifications, in order to do Borer today, you must have to qualify all of them. You have to do it for immediate use. You have to do it biyad. You have to do it by hand, not with the utensil. And it has to be ochel mitopsolet. The way it's done is you have to pull the ochel out of the psolet. How soon miyad is, is a machloket in the poskim, in the rishonim, and the shokonach, the ramah, bring down what is considered to be miyad. Is miyad mean that you literally take it and eat it right away? Or is miyad for the next meal? Is that enough? Is if you're preparing a woman in the morning who is preparing for the morning, the Shabbat afternoon meal, is that okay? How about the night before? The night before you're preparing, is that still considered to be miyad? That's what the poskim discuss, what is considered to be immediate usage of borer. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, what you can't do is remove the banana to eat the apple. Right. Okay, so that you could do. Right. Right. So that's the question. That's exactly the question of meniach. Meniach. Well, Tosfut says meniach means for akirim. It doesn't mean to leave it. It means simply that you're doing it not for yourself, but for others. That's meniach. The, what you're trying to determine and what you're trying to separate here between is what the last we saw here in the statement of Abayi, which is what we don't allow you to do is Leave it to the Otsar. We don't want you doing Borer in order to store it. We don't want you doing the, that's the Malacha. The Malacha, Borer is not that you, you, you do Borer for a small quantity and then leave it over. Borer is when you do on larger quantities and you leave them over. So what distinguishes between what's Borer for immediate use versus what's for quantities that you would store? That's the, that's the question that the Poskim are dealing with. How far in advance? How much? Those are questions that you have to answer in terms of the Borer being allowed. The most believe that if uh, a woman in the morning is preparing for that meal, the next meal, that that's okay in terms of borer. There are those that paskin that you have to do it immediately before the meal. It has to be right, right proximate to the meal. It's not enough that it's in the morning leading into the meal, the afternoon meal. That's not enough. So you have to, in, I mean, in, in terms of sakalacha, actually, I think it actually depends if you're Ashkenazi or Sephardi, which way we go with that. But yeah, that's what the poskim are dealing with, exactly your question of what's considered to be immediate or not. All right. Now the Gemara continues. Amru Rabbanan kamei the Rovo. The Rabbanan said over Abayi's qualification to Rovo. Amru Lo Shapi Amar Nachmani. Nachmani is the nickname for Abayi, and he says Abayi spoke well. That what he said is correct. The correct interpretation of the Brayto. Hayu lefanav shnei minei ochlim ubi'er v'achal ubi'er ve'eniyah. The case where he has two different food items in front of him. 
He does borer and eats it. Borer and leaves it over. Rashi matni patur. Rashi says that's no problem. That's patur. Rabbi Yirmi matni chayav. Says that is chayav. Rashi matni patur. How could Rashi say patur? Vatani chayav. Don't we have a brayta that says that it is chayav? Says lokasha. That's not a problem. I have a known bitamkoi. I've been a favorite Depends what utensil he's using. Patur means patur valasur. That's the case where he uses a utensil, but not the normal utensil used for doing this malacha. On the other hand, if he does use the nafek vara, uses the utensil that's normally used in this instance, then he is chayav. Kiata Ravdimi, Amar, Shabtud Rabbibi Havai. Ravdimi, when he came, reports about a scenario that he saw, where it was the Shabbat of Rabbibi, it was his Shabbat to give the drasha, so that he was the one who's going to be Mishamesh, the Tanei Tamid Chachamim, whatever his job was that day. Veiklu Rabbi Ami Vravasi, and Rabbi Amin Rasi came to attend Shiur, whatever his uh, he was presenting there, if he was presenting the meal. Then Shada Kamayu Kukla Deperi. He threw in front of them, or strew all over the place, in front of them, a basket full of perot of fruit. Vleyadana, I didn't know why. I was uncertain as to why he did this. There are two possibilities. As Rashi points out here, he has the food with the leaves in it. The, the fruit and the leaves were all together in the basket. And now he has two options when he presents it to them. He could have presented to them. What they could have done is reached into the basket and taken out the fruit. That's ochal mitok solid. Solid being the leaves, the fruit being the ochal. So he could have reached in. So is the reason that he did not just offer them the basket but spilled the basket in front of them is because he doesn't believe you can do that. Can't take ochal out of solid. So therefore he threw them out in front of them so that the leaves and the fruit would separate by themselves, and then they could just pick up the fruit. Or did he spill it in front of them because the, it was the equivalent of what we would say cornucopia. It was like spilling out the fruit made it look like there was an abundance that he was offering them in a way that was not miserly. So which of those two, I wasn't sure. Obviously, the nafkamino is halachically, has a big implication, which is, does Ogomito Psoli qualify? It's not be classified as borer. If he did it because of the problem of halachically that it was impermissible to take the ochel out of solat, that means that you're not allowed to do that. Ochel out of solat would still be classified as borer. If he did it simply to be generous, and he poured out the fruit in front of him, then it has no halachic implications. Ravdimi reports the incident, but he doesn't have a reason. He doesn't understand why he did it. And again, the Gemara just leaves that inconclusive, doesn't say what, or come to a conclusion. We know from before already that the Moraim suggests that ochel mitoch solat is allowed. Right? That's the way we pass it. Now, someone who takes lupines out of the psolet, shalen, chayav. He is chayav. So it's ochel mitok psolet, and yet we're saying chayav. Let us suggest here that chizkia concludes ochel mitok psolet, tasur. Taking ochel out psolet still qualifies to be classified as borer. says, shiny tormusim. Tormusim lupines have a different status. You cannot extrapolate from Turmusim from lupines to other items. The shakile shiva zimne, because they are cooked seven times. In order to make them sweet or make them edible, the lupines have to be cooked over and over again. And because of that, they are considered not to be like normal cases of borer. Below shakile, either shakile, if he doesn't take them, or ilo shakile, if he does not cook them, misrach, they're gonna go bad, they're gonna go rotten. And therefore, it's like taking psolet out 
of Ochel. Rashi over here brings two interpretations to what that means. So Rashi says, if you look in the Rashi of Misrach, it says that the case here is that if they do not take the Ochel out of the psolet, since it's soft and it's mushy, because it was cooked so much, Misrach, it's going to go bad. So the Ochel, even the Ochel, even the good stuff, is really considered to be psolet here. Because if you leave it in place, it will rot, it'll go bad. So when you pull it out, it's equivalent still pulling out psolet, mitoch, ochel, because almost everything here is qualified as psolet. Because there's nothing that's good. The only thing, the reason it becomes good is because you pulled it out. So Rashi says that that selection process is still considered to be psolet, mitoch, ochel. That's one interpretation. Then he says, velinira. He, Rashi gives a totally different interpretation. She says, After you cook them one time, you empty out the water. Borer hatola ochelahen. You take out the ones that are no good. Kamosho sim lepulim, like do by beans. Every when you cook the beans, you have to select which beans are good beans, edible beans, and the ones that are not rotten or bad. You select those out. You throw those out, and then you continue to cook the ones that are good. So the same thing you do that by the tormusim. So b'chem chol pam b'pam. Every time that you cook these lupines, you leave the good ones stay in and. You take out the ones, you take out the ones that are bad. But over here, this one is, this individual here takes out the good ones, the ochel, the ones that will continue to be cooked, and leaves the other ones behind. But if you do not cook the ones that you picked out, misrach, and therefore they will go bad. So Rashi has the gears of shalkile, that if you don't continue to cook them, they're still psolet. So Rashi says that when you pull them out, they are designated as psolet because if you do nothing more to them, they would be psolet. They're going to go bad. You must cook them again in order to make them into ochel. When you pull them out, they're still classified as psolet. By pulling them out, they're still considered to be psolet mitoch ochel. And then he brings a third interpretation, which is that when you take them out in your hands, they mush. They mush up in your hands and they become uh, inedible, inedible because of that. And therefore, it's kipsolet. And that which remains behind is considered to be the ochel until you come and take it out. Since everything you take out gets mushy in your hands, that's considered to be the psolet, and what stays in, in the pot is actually still intact, and therefore that's considered to be the ochel. So for whatever reason, this tumusim, which has an unusual cooking process and an unusual way that it is made, that makes it that even when you're taking really ochel, it doesn't really qualify as ochel, because whatever you're taking out is not edible at the time that you're taking it out. Even though it's maybe what you want, you can want to continue to work with. Nevertheless, that is still considered psolet because unless you do another activity to it, it will remain psolet. So that's why it doesn't qualify to be beokomitoch psolet. Right now, the Gemara moves on to the next malacha, which is toche. Token is grinding, milling. What the Gemara is going to say is that grinding and milling, in our mind, deals with grains or certain items that you mill or grind. The Gemara is going to say is going to extrapolate this to other areas where we wouldn't have assumed that this was considered to be toke. So, for instance, Amra Papa, Ha'man de Paris, or Parim, Rashi says the girsas with the Mem Sufid, Silka, one who dices beets, Chaya Mishum Tochen. That is a problem of Tochen. Tochen is not simply putting into a mill, but even dicing something into very small parts, that is the equivalent of Tochen, which is what grinding does. Grinding takes a large object, and then crushes it down into smaller component parts. So here, if you take a large beet and you dice it down into small pieces, that's the equivalent of tochein with beets.
Any, yeah. Uh, oh, so very good. That's a good question, whether it applies to any vegetable or not. Uh, right. That's also both very good questions. Tosafot, uh, I'm not yet. Yeah. Tosafot, if you look up the top, Tosafot says, Dafka Besuka. Shayach Tchina Avabushar Uchlim Shari. Tosafot says this is unique to beets. Either because that makes them more edible, it does something that improves their utility by cutting them up or dicing them into small component parts. They would be inedible without that. And therefore, it's unique to beets and would not apply to all ochel. That's not all Rishonim agree with Tosafot. There are other Rishonim that believe that it applies to any vegetable. Anything that you dice to find parts, that is classified or considered to be uh, tochen. What is considered to be fine or how small a piece it has to be, that is discussed by the poskim about exactly where do you move over that threshold of being something simply cutting a vegetable and I would call it the difference between cutting and dicing. Where does that happen? Where does that threshold happen? That the poskim decided. Right. From a food expert, I know that... Uh, <laughs> right. Right. All right. We weren't allowed to cut it, to dice it into small pieces, right? It's a, right, that might be for other reasons too. That might be because you're using a clea as well. So that might be something you're using a clea to dice. That might make it even more problematic. No, but that's, that is a, a mechanical machine made to specifically do it. Yeah, but it's not made specifically to dice. Right, like a fork. You can make pork grind the edge also. It's not made. You're here using an, uh, using a chopper. All right, that is made specifically to do that. All right. And uh, I'd love to do all the halakha and the maisa here. I'm just trying to give you the... No, you're right. <laughs> the other questions are valid. <laughs> all right. There you go. All right. <laughs> Someone who, here, breaks wood down into smaller pieces. So Rashi says, You want to use these as kindling for the fire. You take wood and you break it down into smaller parts. That's also a problem of tochen. So, right, if he breaks them down, it's not that he's going to use them, he's not going to cook with them on Shabbos, but the mere fact that he breaks them down into smaller component parts that is considered to be tochen on Shabbat. You're in violation of the Isser of tochen. Okay, Moksa is an Isser de Rabbanon. Tochen is an Isser de Oraita. So yeah, you're right. Okay, Moksa, it's not something that you can use on Shabbos, but here you're talking about it, you would be Chayi Vachatot, if you did it B'Shogei, Chayi Mito, if you did it B'Mezid. So, right, so oh, but all oh, those might only be the Rabbanon. This at least is, uh, they're, they're focused here on the Doraita violation. Right, the, the, the Correct. Yeah. Oh, there it's in. Yeah. But then it's also in violation of Borer, which is an Isidoraita. Hachana is a question whether it's an Isidoraita or not in Hachana. But it, it, the Gemara is after the most, right, the highest level of violation, which would be a violation of Doraita. Over here, he says, the Rabbeinu Hanano explains it. Perish, I'd say the Kalim. These are wood from the palm trees. Shumdim shive shive. They come out in strips. You ever see the wood from a palm tree? It's stringy. He says if you pull the strings out, you break them apart, 
There's a thin dust that sits in between them, and that's what the Gemara is referring to over here, breaking the wood to get that dust out of it, or whatever that is that sits between the wood. That's what's considered to be token over here. Amravashi. No, that's not, no, because this is the wood of the palm, not the hearts of the palm. You could cut up a heart of palm. As long as, again, you don't dice it, right? You can cut it. Amravashi. He copied a mishkata if he's if he is makpid on the exact size, not only are you chayav for tochein, you also mechatech. Mechatech is when you cut, there it's done with the leather, you cut it down to the proper size. You're sizing it by cutting it. So if you're makpid on the size of wood or the size of kindling that's there, and you cut it down to that size, not only are you chayav for tochein, you're also chayav for mechatech. What the Gemara introduced here is that what we conceptually think of as tochein is not simply about grinding grains or things that are hard objects into smaller component parts, but involves any food item or even non-food items that if you're breaking it down into smaller parts, that's a problem of tochen. Same thing with mechatech. Mechatech is not solely by leather where you're cutting it down to the size that you need. It means anything that you're makpid on the exact size and you cut it to that exact size, not by ochlim, but something outside of ochlim, that will also be considered to be mechatech. Falash vofet. Someone who needs and bakes. So this is the question that you're all posing before, which is, Amra Papa, Shavak Tana Didan Bishos Mamanim. How could our Tana leave out Bishos Mamanim to have Mishkan? That was in the Mishkan. Pinakato Feh. And then went into baking. Bisho is the way that you make dyes. You cook the dye in the end to create the solution that you want that has the dye in it. You don't bake the dyes. So why did the Mishnah go with the last Melacha in Sidur Apad as Ofer when that's not what happened in the Mishkan. Bishul is what happened in the Mishkan. The Gemara's answer is Aratana followed Sidur Apad. So now, the answer isn't clear. Even the Rabbeinu Hananel says that his Gemara didn't have a Girsa. His Gemara doesn't, the Gemara just left it as a question. And then he quotes Yushalmi that brings in the answer. But our Gemara does have the answer, which is that Sidur Apad Nakat. What's that mean? So the easiest answer is brought by the Tosfot Arosh, who says that it's Sidur the path was used in the process of building in the Mishkan. And that was to test the Techelet. In order to test the Techelet, they used to make bread and put the Techelet on the bread to test either the coloring or whether the dye held. So the dough or the bread that was made was used for that testing process. So Tosfot comes up with a way to have the making of bread be a part of the building of the Mishkan because it was used in the building of the Mishkan. That's the simplest answer. So we found the, a solution to our problem, which is that Sidur Adapad is really relevant in the building of Mishkan, just as equally as my money is. Rashi says, Enochanami, you're right, but since the Tana had to get in all these items, these Mlachot, and he used Sidur Adapad, he concluded with Ofeh, which is the way that you would make bread. He used, he used the process of making bread because it captured all the Mlachot that he wanted, and then he Included with the baking. In Ochanami, in the Mishkan, it was Bishul. And Bishul and Ofer both have Malachot. Just Artana used Ofer because he was dealing with baking a bread. But had he done, spoken about Smananim, he would have mentioned Bishul. It's just a, I would say, it's just the reality of how he laid out the Malachot was through, through Sidur de Pat, because that's how he captured the most Malachot. So he concluded it in that process. That process was making bread, so he concluded with Ofer. But in Ochanami in the Mishkan, there was no Ofer in the making of the Mishkan. It was Bishul. And Bishul or Ofer are equivalent. Just baking is by bread, and Bishul is done by other food items.
It's not listed in our Mishnah, but it is an Av Melacha because it is equivalent of Ofeh. Bishul and Ofeh do the same thing. They accomplish the same thing, just they're done. One is how you make bread from dough into the edible bread. Cooking is how you take something raw and you change its status, so now it's edible. They both accomplish the same thing. Right, so that the Gemara in the Darim deals with exactly what is Bishul. How do you determine what's classified under Bishul? There, the Gemara asks, if a person takes a nether not to eat things that are mabusha, that are cooked, what's subsumed under that item? What's not subsumed under that? So yeah, it's really a shalmi in the darim deals with things like smoking. You smoke an item, is that considered to be bishul or not? That has nafkuminot in terms of bishul akum. Right? right. All this pickling, smoking, what, what's classified under bishul? So that's, that's one. Those will be determined as abmalachot. What's not might also be what we call a tolada. It might be a subset of bishul. So it's not obvious that something is necessarily a av melacha. It's not chayav. You could be chayav even if it's a tolada. All right. The last answer is given by the gonim, or what we saw. I told you before by Rabbeinu Kananel. So the Gemara's answer is that sedura de patnakat. He's talking about not only the building of the mishkan, but that which was used in the mishkan, the vodat the mishkan, making of the menachot. And that's the answer of the Gemara over here. Rashi and Tosafot reject that explanation because they believe that it's only in the building of the mishkan that qualifies, not the Things that were done in the Avodah to Mishkan. And now the Gemara continues. Amar of Acha Baravira, Haiman, Dushoda Sikta Latuna. Someone who takes a peg, a tent peg, a metallic tent peg, and puts it in the oven, Chayim Mishum Bishol. He's Chayim Mishum Vashel. So Bishol is not only by food items, it's even by inedible objects like metal. Mar says, Pshita, of course that's considered to be cooking. He says, No Maudatema, Lishrureka Mikavain. Why do you heat up the tent peg? Is to harden it. You want to harden the metal. So hardening the metal is not bishul. Bishul is to soften an item, not to harden it. Kamash Malan, that the process of heating an object is, first of all, the mirfi rafi, it gets softer first, the hadar kamit, and then it hardens. When you heat an object metal up very hot, it softens first, and then it cools off, and the cooling process is what hardens it. So there is a process of bishul in the way, which is when you heat the metal, it softens first. Someone who liquefies pitch, because of bishul. Pshita, again, the Gemara says, what's the question here? You're taking something, a hard object, and softening it. So, as soon as it, you stop, it hardens again. Say that that's not considered bishul. That because you soften it in the process, that is considered to be bishul. Someone who makes a barrel, or a pitcher, chayav mishum sheva chataot. He is chayav for seven chataot. Tanura, someone who makes an oven. Here we're talking about earthenware utensils, an earthenware barrel, now an earthenware oven. Chayav mishum shmone chataot. He be chayav for eight chataot. Amravai, hayman do oven, chauto. Someone who makes a chauto, Rashi says it's kverit kanim, some wicker work, something that's made out of the reeds or wicker. Chayav achatisre chataot. He's going to have 11 chatot. If he stitches back its mouth, its opening, you'll be chayav for 13 chatot. Rashi over here goes through the process and lays out for us what are these chatot that you are chayav for. So Rashi says, the sheva chatot that we talk about when you make the barrel, the first one is tochen, because you take the clods of clay and then you grind them down to get the powdered clay. Then uboreret srorot agasot. You pick out the pebbles or the solet from there in order to have pure clay powder. Then, 
Then afterwards you shake them in the sifter. And then afterwards you mix it together with water, which is the equivalent of lash, of kneading. You're taking the powder, mixing it with water, and now you're going to knead it. Then he makes a, if you ever see someone who makes clay or earthenware utensils, they come with a ball of clay. They come with an unformed ball of clay and they put it on the wheel. And then they work with it on the wheel or they shape it on the wheel. So that when he makes that golem, memareach, he smooths it out. He makes the ball that he smooths out. Sheikhalak, harimemachik, that's number five. Mavirato or, you have to heat up the fire to cook, to put it into the kiln afterwards to harden it. And bakavshan, umitzarfo betocho, and then you bake it. You bake there, there where you tend on the kiln, that's mivashel. So those are the seven malachot that you do when you do, when you make an earthenware utensil. The oven adds on an additional one, which is eight, which as Rashi says, after you make it or put it into the kiln, tachalav tefillah, shu'av. You, on top of it, you place an additional layer of material, basically to make, as an insulator, to make the oven be able to retain the heat inside. That placement of the insulator outside is what we call makeh patish. It's the finishing of the object. That's the finishing touch that makes it usable. That finishing touch is a violation of Makebe Patish, and therefore he is in violation of eight Chataot if he makes an oven. Now, the Kveret Shokanim. What's this case when he makes this wicker work? That is 11. Rashi says, this is a case where Zumer Kanim Lehem. He prunes the tree and needs the wood, the branches that he's taking off. We saw that yesterday. Someone who prunes and needs the branches is Chayav for two things. It's Chayav for Zomer, which is Kotzer, for cutting, or Noteya. And he's also Chayav for Kotzer, which is harvesting, taking it off. He needs the wood, that's Kotzer, that's harvesting. He wants the pruning to help the tree, that's Noteya, that's equivalent of planting. So he's in violation of two when he does that. Then Asfam, he brings them together. Harizeh Mamar, making a pile of the object, that's Mamar. Bureya Fot, he takes out the ones that, you know, he picks out the ones he wants, or basically throws away the ones he doesn't want. That's borer. Heich likam. He smooths them out. That is mimachik. Asan dakot. Then he chops them down or breaks them down into smaller pieces. Achat shtayim or shalosh. Or is that tochein, which we saw before. When you cut wood into smaller parts, that's equivalent of tochein. Then he does it bimidah. He's making a wicker work. He needs them all to be the same size. So he cuts them exactly to the size he wants. That's a problem of michatech, cutting on Shabbat. Hesich hasheti. When he lays out the Sheti, the ones that are going to be the parallel lines, the horizontal lines. Harizeh mesich, that's setting up the weaving. Then Arag, he starts to weave them one on top of the other. That creates Batenirim, which is two, basically the square that is the basis of where you start the wicker work. And then Oreg, when he actually weaves them, that is the weaving. After he finishes weaving them, he cuts them. In order to let they all be even. You know, whenever you make wicker work, and then some of the pieces stick out, you slice them off to make them even. That is Makeba Patish. Those are 11 Chatot that you're Chayav for. If... The Gemara is just giving you, uh, in, in the process of doing something, that, and I think what that's Rash is pointing out here, again, in our mind, we think of these Malachot in terms of food, in terms of Objects here, the Gemara is telling you about building something, and all of a sudden, you know, it, it has all these malachot that we thought had to deal with making of bread or making of leather. All right, you would think that they don't qualify, and here the Gemara is telling you that these these malachot apply even to other objects like that. And then, what about chaytel pume? 
If he makes a rim on the top, you have tofer and kosher. Tofer is to stitch it because you stitch it back. And the kosher is that you tie the knot to hold it in place. So that'll get you up to 13. Rashi says something very important over here. Rashi tells you what other people thought and what he rejected. He says some people say that there's bonet here because you made something. You made an object. That's bonet. Rashi quotes what the Gemara says in other places. Ain binyan bikelim. There's no such thing as building by kelim. Binyan is a structure, not a keli. And therefore he rejects it. Tosafot over here says Rashi's wrong. There is binyan by kelim. And Tosafot makes a very important distinction. He says, there's no binyan by kelim when you are taking an object and you're fixing it or putting it together or you're taking component parts and screwing them together. There's no bonyan by kelim. But if you take something from nothing and make it into a kli, there is binyan by kelim. If you start with nothing and you build a kli entirely, there is binyan by kelim. So he rejects Rashi, like the, the Aruch quotes this as well. The Aruch says that Rashi is wrong. He drops one of the other malachot of Rashi and he puts in bone instead because you're, you're making something from nothing. You're making something from nothing. That is considered to be binyan by kelim. Then Rashi says, Havshata doesn't count. Havshata is the stripping of the Skin off the animal. Why don't you say the same thing by the wood over here that you strip off the bark or something to that effect? Rashi says shato only applies by leather, by skins. Shato does not apply to objects outside of skin. Then Rashi offers another thing is that he's kodeach nikavim ba'etz. He drills, yeah, that he drills holes into the wood for the wicker basket and then he inserts another piece of wood into them. And when he inserts it there, they twist it around and that causes dust to come out of there, and that's called tochein. That's what others say. Rashi says it doesn't qualify as tochein because that's melacha she'en tzricha de gufa. You're not being tochein in order to get the dust. You're tochein in order to get the hole to be bigger or tighter and to fit in. So you see Rashi had other options, which he rejected, and he explained to you what they rejected. The most important of them is binyan bekelim, which is here Rashi and Tosavot disagree whether there is a concept of binyan bekelim. Rashi says it doesn't exist at all. Tosavot says it depends what you're talking about. If you're talking about starting from nothing and making a cleave, there is binyan bekelim. That you created something. Whereas if you're putting component parts together, that's not considered to be binyan bikelim. Right now, the Gemara continues and says, Someone who shears the wool and bleaches it. Someone who spins the wool while it's still on the animal. One because of shearing. One for hackling, and one for spinning. Because as he spins it, he's going to accomplish all three of these malachot on the animal itself. That doesn't work. He's not high for any of these, because this is not the normal way to do it. You don't normally spin the wool on the animal itself. Is that not the way they did it? They rinsed down the wool while it was on the goats, and then they spun it on the goats. Because the Mara Darshans is out of the way the Pasuk writes, the Tebi by the Ace, sounded like they did it on the Azim themselves. That's when one spins on the animal. That is considered spinning. That's how they did it in the Mishkan. That is something that requires extraordinary skill. And that is not the usual way to do this. It requires extraordinary skill. That means that a regular layperson who does this won't be able to do it. And if they do it, they're, as Tosot says, they're considered to be outside the normal realm and the normal way things are done. And it's not considered to be a melacha. So even though it was done in the Mishkan, the Torah clearly says that 
that these women were endowed with a unique ability to do this, and it's not something that can be replicated. So for us, we have to talk about these same lachot in the normal way they're done today. And that's what you're going to be chayah for. If you do it in an unusual way, that's called kalachayad. That's something that's not the normal way to do the melacha, and you'll maybe chayav the rabbanan, but you're not going to be chayav del raita. To accomplish it del raita, you have to do it the way that normal people do it. Alright, done rabbanan. Atuleshet kanaf. Someone who plucks a feather off a bird. Vakotmo. And then he cuts it down. He cuts off the harder part that he doesn't need, the extension of the feather that doesn't have uh, the soft uh, feathers on him. The stem, the quill itself, he cuts it down. And hamoret, or in certain areas where the stem is too, or the uh, quill is too thick, he peels off the feathers from there directly. All of those, that's what we just mentioned here. That's tolesh, kotem, and hamoret. Chayav shlosh chatot. Your chayav, three chatot, what are they for? So Rabbi Shimon Lakish says, tolesh chayav mishum gozeis, when you pluck the feather off, it's equivalent of shearing the wool off the animal. You're removing what's grown on the animal from, animal from the animal. Kotem, chayav mishum mechatech. When you slice off, the extra part of the quill, that's the equivalent of mechatek, cutting, cutting down to size, for the size that you want. Mimareit, chaya mishum mimachek. When you take off the feathers from it, that's the equivalent of mimachek. Mimachek is when you take the hair off the skin, take off that which is there. So same thing here, when you take the feathers off the uh, quill, that's also either because you want the feathers themselves to stuff the pillow, or the quill itself. Rashi says over here, what they used to do with those quills, the stems, is they used to weave them into hats. They were used for hats. And they took the thick pieces, they made them into a hat. So when you're moving, you don't have the feathers on it when you make the hat. You simply need the centerpiece that's on the uh, feather of the bird. So all of these are chayav, even though they're not identical to what was done by the sheep. Nevertheless, we can extrapolate them to other animals like birds. Someone who ties a knot and unties a knot is chayav. Those are av melachot on Shabbat. Where was the kshira used? Where was knotting used in the mishkan? That when they are making the pegs of the ohel, they have to tie the ohel, they have to tie it down to the pegs. How do they tie it to the pegs? With a knot. Mar rejects that because that is not a permanent knot. That knot is tied with the ability to untie it. Because afterwards you have to move. When they move the mishkan, they have to untie it and take it apart. So when you tie any tent peg, when you tie the knot, the tent peg, that's to hold the tent in place temporarily. When you dismantle the tent, you're going to undo the knot. So that's not a real knot. We know that kosher means that it's going to be permanent. It's going to stay there. That's not the case here. Those that are weaving the yiriot, the curtains, when they have a string, one of the strings tears, and now he needs to finish, how does he continue? He takes another string and knots the two together and then continues to weave. He can't, he has his gun halfway through and all of a sudden it tears. So he ties on a knot to put it back together and then he continues onward. That makes sense in terms of tying a knot. What is untying the knot? You told me how you tied knots, but you don't tell me how you untie knots. What are you going to suggest? He finds two pieces that were knotted. Then he's going to undo one and put one back in. For a regular king, a human king, they don't do this. For God, you're going to do this? That's an unacceptable presentation of the curtain. That's because, remember, every string was six ply. If you had a knot there, 
and then you untied a knot, you would leave gapping. You know, that if there was a knot there and then you undid it, there would be a gapping, a hole in the weave. And that's unacceptable. Now, Rashi and Tosafot disagree about exactly what the scenario is. Whether the scenario is you have two knots next to each other, they are parallel to each other, and over here what the Gemara suggests you would do is you'd untie one knot and then join and leave the other one in place because the one knot would hold the placement to hold the thing together. And the other knot you undo because that you don't need two knots. It looks too bulgy when you have two of them together. So you leave one in place and you undo the other. Gemara rejects it because when you undo the other, it's going to leave a hole. It's just not going to look. You have a little bulge and a little hole and it's not going to look right. Rashi seems to indicate that it was a case where they were two strings that it tore twice, or it tore more than once, and they tied two knots, and they were very close together. So what it says is you don't do that. What you'll do is you'll undo one of the knots, and then leave that little piece in the middle out. Tie the two long pieces together, and then add at the end of the weave, you'll add another knot at the end of the weave to finish it off. That way the knots are not close together. If they're not close together, then it's okay. But if you're close together, they won't look right. And again, the Gemara says, when you undo knots, you have a problem, because you leave a bulge in there. Because again, there's six plies, so even when you undo the knot and we tie it, the strings that are next to it were pushed out because of the bulge, and the weave isn't tight. It's going to leave a hole, it's going to leave something that's visible, and that's not acceptable. El Rova, now Rova offers the last interpretation. They want to hunted the chilazon. Chilazon is the, uh, we call it the snail today, that uh, is used for making the tchelet and the argaman, that snail, they had to capture them. They had to go fishing for them. How do you fish for them? You need nets. How do you make a net? You tie a knot to make the net. So that's kosher matir. And as Rashi explains over here, okay, well, how do, why do you need kosher matir? I understand why you need to tie knots to make a net. Why do you need untie knots to make the net? So Rashi says, because you need the right size net. Sometimes the net is too small, so you tie knots to make a bigger net. Sometimes the net's too big and you want to shrink the net, so you untie the knots in order to have a smaller net. So they both tie and untie knots here in order to have the sizing of the net be appropriate. Alright, now the last thing here, a Tofer State he wrote, someone who stitches two stitchings. Balo Kaima. Again, we said one of the qualifications of Malachot at Shabbat, Rashi says, we came to Lokaima, love Malachi. Malacha means that it stays, that it has permanence to it. Over here, you do two stitches and leave it, they'll just unwind themselves over time. They're not going to stay there permanently. So no, you have to tie it. You have to knot it down. You have to tie the two ends of the string so that the stitching stays in place. It's not enough to simply stitch two stitches. You have to do it in a manner that it'll stay. That means you knot it in order to keep it in place. Or you tie the ends together so that it stays in place. So stitching in itself is not enough unless it will stay. It has to be that it'll be permanent or stay in place. They won't stay in place, that you have to do something that will not allow the string to come out, will not allow the string to remove itself. Okay, we'll step over here.